about tonight is how to become a problem-solving individual. So many people, when they confront difficulties, they confront adversity, they run. They don't know exactly what to do. They get afraid. They start to feel disappointment. They start to feel hopeless. we got to learn how to develop our resilient skills and our ability to solve problems. I want to tell you a little story. This happened about 21 years ago. It was shortly after I came to know Christ in my life and, and began my personal relationship with God. I had a, a lot of problems in my life, and I knew that I needed to confront some of them, but I wasn't sure how some of them were going to work out. And I was out driving one night in my little sports car, and I was coming back from a friend's house. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. So I was trying to keep awake, and one of the habits that I always used to have was listen to rock and roll. Well, I still do. But in those days, rock and roll sort of had my soul. I couldn't sit in a pizza hut without singing to every song and playing like I was playing the drums. I mean, I'd be there with a friend, he'd be having a conversation, and the Doobie Brothers would come on and I'd start singing the song. Right in the middle of the conversation. I was just kind of addicted to music, you might say. So, I'm driving home and I'm thinking, you know, some of these, I, I probably need to break my habit now that I'm trying to follow the Lord and follow God, I probably should break my Led Zeppelin habit, my Foghead habit, my, you know, some of these other groups that I was listening to at the time. So I'm trying to find this station that might keep me awake and be a little energetic, but wasn't the typical station I'm listening to. So all of a sudden, it was on that AM channel, and this guy comes on and he goes, you know, we got problems today. Well, that's kind of interesting. I've never heard anybody talk like that. We got problems in the schools. We got problems in the home. Problems in the family. And I'm going, whoa, this is amazing. I know a man who can solve your problems. Yeah, yeah. The whole crowd's going wild. I know a man who can solve your problems. His name is Jesus. Well, I never heard anything like this in my whole life. You know what I'm saying? Never, ever. And I'm, it kept me awake. It also stuck in my brain. I haven't forgotten it for 21 years. I don't think I'll forget it for another 40. But you know, to be honest, it was the first time I'd ever heard somebody, some preacher say, God is a problem solver. That God is in the business of solving problems. That God is big enough to handle whatever comes in my life, whatever comes your way, whatever comes my way, God can solve it. And over the years, as I've been developing my relationship with God, as I've been, you know, a father, a husband, a pastor, and all the other things that I'm required to do in my life, I have come to this firm belief, and that is this. I personally believe there is a solution to every single problem that we face. And one of them is not having to run away from them. That no matter how big the obstacles in your life, no matter how difficult what you're going through is, God has an answer. And if you are willing to stand tall, if you're willing to hang in there, you will see God do something special in your life. There's always a way I've discovered to get things done. And you know, Jesus had a variety of ways of saying this. In Luke chapter 19, he told his disciples, 
Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Seek, and you will find. Ask, and it will be given to you. Quite frankly, I don't think many people believe that. I think many people who claim to be Christians, who claim to know God, do not really believe that in their life. But no matter whether you believe it or not, if you're gullible enough, if you're humble enough to take advantage of God's truth, you'll discover that God will open the door when you knock, you will find when you seek, and He will answer when you ask. Now, the book of James puts it a little different way. It says this, If any man lacks wisdom, if any woman lacks wisdom, if any person lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men without reproach. But let him not doubt, for God does not respond to the double-minded person. The person who's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you're not going to get your answer. God gives wisdom, and wisdom is what you need to deal with life. And then one other one in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, and maybe many of you have heard this before, but Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I cannot tell you how many times that verse has come back to my life, that truth, in a very necessary and needful time in my life. <clears throat> Let me give you one example. It was about 1979 uh, and the spring actually of 1980. I'd just gotten married, hadn't been married too long, and I needed another job. At the time, I was a grill cook, a breakfast cook at a Ramada Inn, and I needed something a little bit better. Some friends of mine told me that there was a job in a sorority where you could live in the sorority in the basement, my wife and I, and you could cook for the sorority. Now, had I probably thought long and hard about this, and had I known what I know now about females and how challenging they can be to please, I probably wouldn't have taken the job, especially as their cook. I'm sorry, ladies. It's nothing personal. It's just the truth. They can be some of the most finicky eaters you can possibly imagine, and I will illustrate that in just a moment. But they're also very sweet people, and uh, living in a sorority completely changed my mentality, by the way, of fraternities and sororities. I admit I went into it with a preconceived idea of what I thought they all were, and it wasn't good. And let me just say, that changed. My daughter was born, actually, while we were there, and she was an honorary Alpha Chi. I think we're the only couple that ever had a baby and stayed in the sorority for a while at Iowa State University. Well, anyway, I remember thinking about this job. It was kind of like the... The dream job as far as I was concerned. You live for nothing. You got your food for nothing. You got your electricity for nothing. Your phone for nothing. Your water for nothing. You work 35 hours a week. And you got paid $575 a month. So at the time, that was a lot better than I was doing. And I thought, well, this is pretty good. Let's go apply. Kathy said, Mark, you know how to cook. I thought, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's just go apply. But Mark, we're talking about 45 people three times a day feeding these people. I said, Kathy, I got this verse. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So stay with me, girl. Follow me into the den of lions and we shall overcome. Well, fortunately my wife knew how to bake. I don't know how to bake. But I figured, here's what I figured. I figured, you know what, Lord? Look, you open the door. I'm going to walk through it and see what happens. And I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him, hey, I don't know how to cook. I've never overseen a $35,000 food budget before. I've made eggs and toast and pancakes. <clears throat> but I can learn. 
And I figure anybody can read a recipe, right? Just multiply it a few times and figure it out. So we went and we saw the house mom and I sat down, <clears throat> introduced my wife, and said hello, and told her we were expecting a baby and I think that kind of got her interest. And, and I said, well, um, I think we can do the job, but I want you to know we've never really done this before. Well, they gave us a few more questions and they hired us. Fortunately, all the girls were sitting in the room at the time. You know, they didn't have to take a vote or anything. Had they taken a vote, I don't think we'd have got the job. So we took the job where we had to figure out menus. So we figured out this rotating thing where like three times a year you had the same thing. And we figured we plotted it out on this calendar. And then we started ordering. And, and uh, I remember the first week was rush week. So we thought we'd really wow the girls. So I cut these watermelon baskets. You know, these ba- you got to know how to cut the watermelon, right? And we scooped it out with little ice cream scoopers and put grapes and cantaloupe. Thought we'd make them muffins. Tell you the secret, guys, with girls. You can't feed them cake, but they'll eat muffins all day long. Call it a chocolate muffin, a banana muffin, an orange muffin, a cream pie muffin. Just don't call it cake, okay? And so I thought to myself, I thought, you know, I'd really like to wow these girls. What we'll do is we'll, we'll make fresh banana muffins. So I go to the store and I buy all these bananas. We're talking the big Hobart mixer, you know, giant mixer. So we're cutting up all the muffins. This is kind of cool because Kathy and I, you know, ever since that we've never really had a job where we've been together. But we were together and we'd be in the kitchen and we'd be making stuff. And eventually when Celeste was born, we'd just sit her on the counter and she'd kind of rock there in her little baby thing. And So we're making these banana muffins. And it's about three hours away from Rush. This big time when they bring all these girls to kind of show off the house. <clears throat> so the recipe called for this baking powder or whatever it was. So I reach up on the shelf and I grab baking something and I dump in the right amount. I measured it out real careful. And oh, the aroma of those banana muffins. They were just golden bronze in the oven and they're wafting out into the room. And I'm thinking, man, this, this is going to blow their minds. I take them out and thinking, you know, probably ought to test our creation. So I take one, I take a big bite of it, and I start to chew. Oh, man, puh, puh. I start spinning, and I put baking soda into the uh, banana muffins instead of baking powder. That is not a good thing to do. Let me just say, I had to throw them all away, and now it's 30 minutes before rush. So I had to rush to the grocery store. We didn't give up. We didn't sit down on the floor and cry. We just went and bought more muffins, store-bought ones. They didn't know any different, and we made them better the next time. But you know what? We were the only cooks that that sorority ever had that kept on budget. Because if you're not on budget, the cook before had gone $7,000 over budget. All the girls, they have to stay in the house during summer and pay that. They can't go home till it's paid. Now, I mean, Mommy and Daddy can send them money. Some have to stay and work. They wanted us back real bad, but we kind of got the impression it might be a good idea. Now that our daughter's kind of a little older, maybe we not live in the sorority. Some pretty wild things went on there. But you know, God has never, ever, ever failed me in that approach to life. That with God's help and God's strength, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, what Paul was really getting at is that I can handle whatever life throws at me. You ever had life throw something at you really big? I mean, just like awful. And it comes your way and you wonder, what, what in the world, why is this happening to me? 
I can't possibly deal with this. No, you can't. But God can. God can deal with all of the difficulties that you encounter in your life. Over the years, I've applied this to a variety of things. I brought what I call here my MacGyver bag. Okay? A little unlike MacGyver. I figure most of you remember watching MacGyver. Anybody ever watch MacGyver? Used to watch MacGyver? Raise your hand. Okay. I thought I was talking to the right crowd. MacGyver, you know, he never has nothing. But I, but I come prepared. One day, we got this futon. And my little daughter, bless her heart, she thought she could figure out how to set the futon up. Well, what she did, i got to reach deep down in here. What she did was, she broke the futon. She, she done did the thing and she tried to push really hard and the wood split. I get this brand new futon and the wood split. And it split in a real bad place. It split where it's joined together. And if you don't get it joined together, well, it's just wrecked. So I come home. She said, Dad, I tried to do some of the futon, but I, don't, I think I wrecked it. I'm thinking, oh, how, why? Why does this happen to me? That's what was going through my mind. So I examined the situation carefully, and I noticed back behind the wall, the little board that comes out had split. It was just beginning to split apart thinking, oh, it's going to be so complicated to fix it. Wait a minute. Hey, man, I can fix that in three minutes. Whipped out one of my little nylon babies right here. These things hold 50 pounds of strength, and you just zip that baby down. It doesn't come apart. I put three of them on. It took me three minutes. It was done. Still been holding it together. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It's amazing. I got all kinds of stuff in here, but I won't bore you with any more of these little stories. God's going to bring into your life big problems. He's going to bring into your life small problems. He's going to allow big ones. You're going to get yourself in some messes sometime. It's so critical that you have a conviction in your life that no matter what you face, no matter what you face, God has an answer. And if you're with you, see, because otherwise, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to give in. Emotionally, you're going to cave in. You're going to give in to despair. You're going to give in to hopelessness. You're going to give in to frustration. And it's going to rob you of your joy in life. It's going to rob you of your quality of life. Now, you know, there's another way that God helps us with our problems, and that is He gives us a new perspective on life. For me, this happened... <clears throat> About 18 years ago, I had been a Christian for about six years, and, and I was trying to follow God and develop my relationship with God, but there were some things that weren't going very well. And there were some obstacles in my own personal life. You might call them my own personal demons. They just kept coming up over and over and over and over again. Finally, as a result of these difficulties and my lack of understanding, some pretty difficult things started happening in my life. And I was helping with the music of the church that I was involved in at the time. And, and I was kind of helping to lead some small groups. But as a result of these problems, I was asked not to lead anymore. Which I understood and was fine. But it was also very devastating personally. Because I wanted to be a pastor really bad. I wanted God to work in my life. But there was this giant obstacle in my life called Mark. Called my impatience. My self-centeredness my own insecurity, my own lack of confidence. And so, I just began, I, you know, I stepped back, I played humble and all that, but inside, secretly, I was dying. 
I was really discouraged. In fact, I don't think I've ever been that discouraged in my life. I worked nights at the time, as well as my day job at this video arcade. And I would go there at night and I would just sit in my stool. And I would just kind of stare out at all the arcades and all these noises going, ding, 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 boom, 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 boom. All these noises and they just kind of space out and think, what am I going to do in my life? What am I going to do? How, this is all I've ever wondered is to, to be a pastor and, and, and now it's not going to happen. And, and, and pretty soon, this, this overwhelming sense of despair started to take over in my life. You know what the big problem was? You know what the big problem was? I had no idea how to change. Has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever confronted something in your life and you think to yourself, I want this gone so bad, but I have no idea how to change it. And I had no idea how to change what I knew inside I was. I cried about it. I can't tell you how many times I would go walk out by these railroad tracks in this private place that I had to go when I was feeling this way and I would just talk to God and I would walk up and down the tracks in between this, these two <clears throat> big hills where no one could see me. Tears rushing down my face wishing, God, would you give me self-control in this area? God, would you please take this away in my life? God, would you please change this in my life? And it never seemed to change. <clears throat> Finally, after about five or six months of just total despair. Only, the only thing that didn't keep me from just walking away, in all honesty, was I had a wife and two children. And I knew I had a responsibility. It was my responsibility to take care of them. But I was, but I was not the same person. And I just kind of come home and I just kind of sit at the table and I just kind of put food in my mouth and just kind of stare there at the plate, wondering, what am I going to do in my life? One day... I was reading my Bible. I picked it back up. I hadn't been reading it for quite a few months. And I picked it back up and I, and I came to this verse in the book of Romans that says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and the word conformed means, in, in, the, in the literal translation, means don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know what your personality is, but I have, I guess, they tell me, a type A personality. You know, I can go this high and I can be like this, just like that. I can be very aggressive, too aggressive. I can be way too assertive. I can be way too angry, way too passionate. Ever since I was a little kid. It gets in the way of relationships. It gets in the way of your life. And I don't know if you've ever struggled with alcohol, if you ever struggled with heroin, if you ever struggled with any other addiction, but let me tell you what it felt like to me. When circumstances would come in my life that were frustrating... It felt like anger grabbed me by the throat, slammed me up against the wall, and I had no other choice than to be very upset. I had no idea how to get over it. None whatsoever, but I knew this is going to ruin my life. And this is going to keep me from God being able to use my life. I felt totally unlovable. I felt totally unworthy. I felt totally unusable. And I'd pray, and I'd pray, and I'd pray, and I'd pray. I felt very distant from God. And as I read that verse, I thought to myself, you know what, Lord? I'll give you my mind. I know that I can do that. I don't know that I can change all my behavior all by myself, but I'll give you my mind. But, but what is it I need to give you my mind about? One day I was up this video arcade. 
and a young man came up and he said to me, he was a friend, that I, a waiter in the sorority, that my wife and I had led to Christ. And God had really changed his life. Well, he came up one night. Now, you got to understand a little bit about me. I have a lot of things that go on in me nobody ever knows. I, I just don't, I don't know, I just don't share it with people. I certainly didn't at that point in my life. So nobody really knew this stuff was going on. I don't really have anybody to talk to. And I know if I talked to Kathy, we'd just bring her down. So I didn't, I just talked to God about it. One night he came up, and so I was acting my usual peppy self. He said, Mark, I've had it. I've had it with this Christianity. I've had it with everything. I quit. I'm walking away. I said to him, I said, Dennis, listen, you don't want to walk away. Well, this is the best thing that ever happened to you. Remember this? Remember that? Listen, you, you, need, you need some hope in your life. And I'm thinking, well, I need some hope in my life. <laughs> but this is what I did. You know, I just, I just talk it anyway. I said, you know, you need to get a hold of this book. Dennis, and it was a book a friend of mine had uh, given another friend and it really helped her. It was called Love Is Now. It's out of print. You can't get it anymore. So don't, don't go try because you can't. I've even called a rare Christian book dealer. But the book's all about the love of God. So Dennis, he went and got the book. He came up two nights later. Now, this is a guy who watched the Rockford Files every night and read comic books. That's how, yeah, that's how he got through college. I don't know how he made it, actually, but he loved comic books and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan, that's all this guy talked about. I know that's a little old for some of you. So anyway, Terry Bradshaw is that old fart, you know, that does Fox NFL News, you know, that you see now as ball. Well, he used to be a really great quarterback. Okay, that's who he is. So Dennis comes up a few days later and goes, man, Mark, this is the most extraordinary thing I've ever read. And I thought, man, maybe I should read it. <clears throat> so I went and got the book. And I remember crying through half the book, thinking to myself, this, this just can't be true. If this could be true, if, this, if God could really love me, if my sin really doesn't matter anymore, if God really isn't upset with me, if I'm already forgiven and He loves me and wants to bless me in spite of my problems, well, that changes the game. Because to be real honest, here was the false premise that I had operated under. I believe that, yes, I'm a Christian and God forgive me, but I need, if God's going to bless me, I have to earn it. I have to walk uprightly enough in order for him to bless me. In other words, I've got to be sort of like Billy Graham. And if I'm not, well, why would God want to bless me? And sometime I'll do a series on that whole topic. But let me tell you something. I came to an understanding that God loved me, period. You know, I came across the verse in a few weeks after that that says, we love because he first loved us. And I realized, you know what, Mark? I have a love problem in my life. I knew that I did. The Bible says love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking, love is not easily angered, love keeps no records of wrong suffered. I knew, well, I'm not a loving man. By that definition, I'm not a loving man. I'm impatient, I'm easily irritated, I keep a record of everything wrong anybody, my wife, has ever done to me. And I'm very self-seeking in some areas in our relationship. So God said to me, uh, you're not loving. The Bible says if you're not loving, you're nothing doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It means you just, how's he going to use you? And so I wanted so bad to be a loving person. And I began to realize I need to change the way I think about God and about the Bible and about me. And I need help. So you know what I did? I got a plan. I believe God had an answer. Even then, in my darkest hour, I'd received a drill for Christmas. I didn't have any money, so I took the drill and I exchanged it for a Walkman. Walkmans just came out. I got a Sony Walkman. I got two sets of batteries. And I went and got seven tapes on the love of God and the forgiveness of God that now are, are renewed tapes. If you ever want them, you can go back 
to the table and get them to call the renew tapes. And you know what I did? My plan was I'm going to listen to one of these tapes every day for a solid year. I listened to them 18 hours a week. I'm a little bit obsessive. And I'm a little bit fanatic and serious about when it comes to following God and wanting change in my life. If you're desperate enough, let me tell you a secret about life. If you're desperate enough, anything's possible. If you really want it. If you really, 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 really want it. God will do something wonderful in your life. And I listened to those. I had to memorize backwards and forwards. And I began to renew my mind. Like the Bible says, I began to change the way I thought. And you know what happened? God started to change the way I acted. And it was a wonderful time in my life. God is a problem solver. And I want to give you just a few simple things this evening that will help you. I call this developing the MacGyver within you. Okay? And that's what we want to do. When it comes to life, we really don't care about these little things, you know, like fixing a futon or fixing a washer or fixing a car. The real issue is fixing your life. The real issue is dealing with the employer, employee problems, the people problems in your life, the personal things that you're confronting. Who knows what it might be? Maybe it's emotional issues. Maybe it's physical issues. Maybe it's psychological issues. Maybe it's addictions you're dealing with. Whatever it is, I want you to know something. God can change your life. He can help you solve the problems. Maybe you're a person who constantly is in relationships and you're ruining them. And you don't realize you're ruining them. But the same thing keeps happening to you. People keep walking away. People keep walking away. Maybe you need to find out why. Maybe you need to ask someone, hey, what is it? Just, just tell me the truth. What is it that, why did you leave? And call another friend. Why did you, why can't I maintain these relationships? Because you're selfish, man. Everything in your life's got to be you, you, you. Well, okay, Fine, hit me, give me what give me some examples. Well, do you remember the time this and we wanted to go here? No, you had to have this. You remember this time? Oh, we had to do this. Listen, learn, and then go about attacking the problem that God reveals in your life. Number one, I never consider the possibility that there isn't a solution. I never even consider the possibility. There has to be a solution. You must be proactive and take initiative and stay hopeful. There has to be a solution, even if it means changing your view of things. Let me give you a couple of examples of me changing your view of things. For a long time, about 14 years, I've been a pastor. Part of my responsibility is to lead people, to help them grow spiritually. Now, I've got to tell you, that's not an easy thing to do. <clears throat> it's a lot easier sometimes to motivate people to lose weight than to grow spiritually. It's very difficult sometimes for people to maintain the spiritual habits of their life. Like reading the Bible. One of the things I'm most passionate about helping people do is read their Bible. The Bible is God's Word. It's soul food and it will make you grow. You will not grow. You will not change if you do not feed on it. I don't know why, but for me, that was an easy thing. It was easy to understand. And as a new Christian, 21 years ago, I began to read it. I devoured it. I have all my old ones at home with all the underlines in them. And I would read almost a book a day. The book of Jeremiah, the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, and I would go over it with my ruler and I would underline and underline and memorize and memorize and read repetition over and over and over. And God started to change my life. So over the years, I've probably given every type of Bible reading motivational talk I can possibly give. Some of you know I pastor here and I pastor at Evergreen, but I have to tell you, 
It's been truly disappointing over the years of how few people really have developed the habit of reading the Bible. And I talk about telling blue in the face. So about a year and a half ago, shortly after our 10th year anniversary with Evergreen, I went home that night and we'd all been at the State Theater. We had an awesome night remembering all that God had done. And it was that night that we'd also talked about The Rock. And we had a massive fundraiser for The Rock. And I went home and I thought, you know, Lord, there's so many wonderful things you've done, but, Lord, there's a couple things that if I have to move hell and high water, I want to change in the culture of this church. And one of them is the habit of reading the Bible. Now, Lord, show me how to lead better. What's the problem? So I started to think about Americans. I thought, you know, Americans, they like things simple, they like things quick, they like things fast. They like fast food, they like fast service, everything's got to be fast. In fact, that morning, I had been reading about cereal. Do you realize that cereal sales are plummeting in America? And breakfast bars are skyrocketing? And so Nabisco and these other companies, they've noticed that when they first introduced it, they, they, they they find out, do research on people's habits, and they realize, Americans, this is how bad it is, folks. Let me just tell you. It's so bad. Americans think they're so busy, they will no longer pause to put cereal in a bowl, put milk on the cereal, and eat it. That's the truth. It's becoming a rarity. I mean, it still happens. They still sell, but their sales have just been dropping off. So they invented cereal bars. People grab them out of the box, sit in their car, they eat. They eat them as they drive. The bagel, it's one of the biggest reasons people eat bagels, because it's fast. I thought to myself, okay, Lord, okay, I think, I think I'm getting a signal here. I need something that's simple. It's easy to understand. Ah, the one-year Bible! It's all laid out every day. You don't even have to use your brain. You just open it up, and the day's already picked. Little Old Testament, little new, little psalm, little proverb. A baby could do that. In fact, my kids have been doing it for a long time. My wife's been doing it. These people could do it. Okay, now, Lord, here's the problem. They're about $11 a piece. And if I introduce them and encourage everybody to go buy them, they won't. So I've got to buy them for them. The first batch, we got to give away. That means i got to convince nine other pastors to spend $33,000 on Bibles. That isn't going to be easy to do, Lord. So first time I'm going to pray, because I really believe this from you. Not only that, Lord, we need journals. We need journals so they can write one verse every day. Because if they write it down, they'll be a little more apt to remember it. Yeah, that's what I need. So I need to design a journal. I prayed about it designed it, got someone else to help me with it, wrote some at the front of it, took it to the pastor's, oh, Mark, come on. We can get NIV Bibles for $3 a piece, Mark. So we got to have the NLT, guys. we got to have the New Living. Do you realize that the average person in America reads at a 6th grade level? The NIV is written at an 8th grade level. We have to have the NLT. It's brand new, and I called the International Bible Society, and they won't sell it to us for any less than $11 a piece. Mark, we can hand out one-year Bible sheets. For... We need the one-year Bibles, the NLT. Prayed about it. Three weeks later, we voted on it. And a week later, I ordered $33,000 worth of Bibles. You know why? Because God's in the business of solving problems. And do you know what? That habit is spread not only here, but I've spread it all over the country. With all the high schoolers that I speak to, the college students that I speak to, and it's helping. Simply, it's a tool. I didn't design it. I didn't design the one your Bible ever did. 
praise God for them. It solved the problem. So, in your life, as you approach life, you have to be convinced there is a solution. Number two, you've got to learn to be flexible. Things don't always go as you plan. Learn to adapt. I cannot tell you how many times I've had these crazy things happen to me that I'm getting ready to share. One time, I'm in the middle of a message. It was in Minneapolis, here where we are now, but it was a little bit that way in a little bit rougher neighborhood. And I was sharing up on a stage like this, and it's the middle of the afternoon, and through the back door comes this gang. And this kid comes running down at me screaming. I mean, everybody stops and they look. Ten guys, another gang, are chasing him. They get to the door, they see the winner. This kid runs up on stage. Actually, to be honest, I thought I was going to die that day. I thought they probably had guns. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to die. So I'm going to die brave in front of my family, and I'm going to stand tall. Of course, my heart was racing pretty fast. Kid comes up, he grabs my clothes, goes, save me, man, and he's crying. He's going, they're going to kill me. He says, you stand right here. The guys saw there were a bunch of people in there. They took off. Then this kid starts crying. He goes, man, they beat my, my friend up. He's in a field over here laying, and he's bloody. I think his nose is broken. He says, yeah, you just stay right here. We'll take care of you. I got five or six real big guys I said, I want you guys to walk them to your cars and I want you to take them home. And as they drove by, there was an ambulance picking his friend up off a stretcher. Or a few, few uh, years ago, I was sharing in Evergreen and I'm getting right to the point, the important part of this message. Some little kid pulls the fire alarm. <coughs> Wouldn't stop. The janitors didn't know how to turn it off. Now, i got to tell you, for an emotional person like me, these things can really set you off. Like I, I was at a concert one time watching The Who. Some of you don't know who The Who are. Roger Daltrey for The Who. And, and I got to tell you, creative people like myself, musicians, we can be very temperamental. I don't like it, but it's a fact. And he was right in the middle of, see me, feel me. And he was doing Pinball Wizard. And the sound just went crazy. He took his microphone, smashed it onto the stage, kicked in a monitor, walks off the stage. That's what it feels like when you're a creative person, let me tell you. It's really hard to resist that temptation. It's really hard. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't believe this happened. I don't, why does this happen to me, Lord? Of course, I realize I can't smash my microphone on the stage. And I can't yell at anybody. I just got to stay calm. Stay calm. Had everybody sit in their seat. Checked out. There was no fire. But I had to cancel the rest of the service because the janitor couldn't turn the fire alarm off. I had to be flexible. You cannot, listen, you can't let life get to you. You can't. I've, I've seen this in my marriage. I've seen this in my family. Let me tell you something. If you don't learn this, marriage will break you down. It'll ruin your life. You'll have some of the most unexpected things happen to you when you're married. You guys, you're going to have some of the most unexplainable things come your way. You're going to go, oh, where did that come from? It's better not to say that. It's better not to say it. It's better just to sit down, look at your shoes if you have to, and take it like a man. Do not try to figure out the mind or the emotion at times of a female. Just don't do it. Thank you very much. You guys can stand and clap if you want. Okay? Now, I, lo I love you ladies. I want you to know that. 
But sometimes you're very, very confusing to us. I understand that we are sometimes very, very confusing to you. Because we are so logical and rational and it's so difficult to understand. But anyway, you've got to learn to be very flexible. And if it's, uh, you know, appropriate to go sleep on the couch, just go sleep on the couch. <laughs> and get on with your day. And get on with life. Do not, I'm serious about this. You're going to have things happen at work that are totally unexpected. You're going to have people swear at you. You're going to have them get in your face. How are you going to deal with it? How are you going to deal with it? You're going to swear back. You're going to fight back. you got to learn to flex. you got to learn to flex. And realize, you know, something's probably happened to this person that I don't know anything about. They're out of it. I just got to, we can deal with this problem. Number three, if there is no answer, then I trust God to accept what I can't change and I find a way around the obstacle and continue on my path. I remember one time I had a car. I had to give the car back to the dealership because the business I had, it just kind of bottomed out. It didn't go bankrupt. It just ended had to get another job. The payments on the car I wasn't going to be able to make. I had gotten it for my partner and I for our business. So I called the dealership back and I said, I don't want you to have to repossess this. I'll just drive it back. You can have it. Well, we can't do that. You pay us $600, we'll take it back. I said, it's a deal. It's a deal. Then I didn't have a car. I didn't have a job. Now, when you're in that situation and you have two children and a third on the way, it's real easy to get really depressed and sit in the basement and cry. I didn't do that. I went to my Bible. I remembered God's promises. Knock and you'll be open. Seek and you'll find. Ask and it'll be given to you. And said, God, give me a solution. I need a solution. I need a job. And the Lord brought back to mind, let your fingers do the walking. I went to the phone and I started to call all the businesses in the city I lived in, starting with the A's. And when I got to the S's, I found someone who needed a salesman. The only thing was you needed a car. Well, they didn't ask me if I had a car. They just assumed I did. I didn't tell them I didn't. I borrowed a friend's car and went to the interview. They said, we'll call you in a week. <clears throat> I called them three days later. They said, yeah, we'd like you to start Monday. Now, you know, you, you need your own car. I said, oh, yes, sir. I am aware of that. I'll be there. <laughs> and then I got on my knees and I said, God, please don't play with my emotions. I mean, I don't believe you're that kind of a God. But, Lord, I really need this job. I've been out of work for three months. And I need this job really bad. Oh, Lord, I need a car. Nobody will give me a loan. I had no credit rating. I was too young. And I need a car. Well, that was Saturday. I had to go to work Monday. So we prayed Saturday, my wife and I. No car. We prayed Sunday and, and no car. And Sunday night came. It was about getting ready for bed and tucking the kids in. And went out of the living room and said, Lord, you know I'm supposed to show up to work tomorrow. And, Lord, I need a car. I need a car. Ring, ring, the phone rings. Is this Mark, darling? Yeah, this is Mark. Mark, this is Marty. You don't know me, but uh, but I've seen you at church once in a while. Mark, I have a car in storage, and I heard you might need a car. I said, you, how did you hear I need a car? Well, it doesn't matter. I just heard you might need a car. It's not an antique or nothing. It's an AMC Matador, which isn't a great car, but it drives. And it's been sitting there for a year. I work right across, I live right across the street from where I work. If you want the car, you can use the car. 
thank you, Lord. I said, well, I was wondering when I could get the car. Tonight? Great. Could you drive it over? (laughs) Sure I can. And I went that morning to my job. And a year later, I bought a 1977 AMC Hornet. Three-speed on the column. (laughs) With an AM radio and nothing else. For $77 a month. (laughs) At every stage of my life, at every stage of my life, God has taught me through real situations in life that God solves problems and He keeps His Word. But I want to tell you something. When you're a husband and you're a father and you don't have work, let me tell you, it's real easy to despair. And God used those lessons in life to prepare me for the bigger things that I would have to solve as I got older in my faith. I just have a few more and then we'll close. The fourth, you must be a learner. Ask questions of others and attack the problem aggressively. You can learn, you can grow, you can change. You do not have to stay stuck where you're at now. I took a job in an auto parts company. I knew nothing about cars. I would stand behind the counter when the phone wasn't ringing and I would pretend someone asked me about a car and I would figure out which counter it was and I would practice and practice and practice until I could be the fastest guy getting parts for whoever called. I knew what a spark plug was. I knew what a tire was. I knew what a muffler was. That was it. Whatever it is, if you will keep your attitude positive, if you will keep your heart hopeful and your spirit full of faith, you will find there is a solution to your problems. I was so touched by the story of the guy, some of you may have seen him on TV or seen him in the subway store when you walk in. He lost 245 pounds in one year. You want to lose weight really bad. Really bad. I really admire these kinds of people. And he thought, he thought, what could I do? Well, he saw a subway on the TV. He saw him advertise their low-gram fat sandwich. He thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start walking a couple miles every day. I can do that. He didn't start with a couple. He started with back and forth around the block. And I'm going to eat no breakfast. And then I'm going to eat this sandwich for lunch and these baked chips. And I'm going to eat this sandwich for dinner. And that's it. One year, lost 245 pounds. If you're willing to make the necessary and appropriate changes in your life, there is always an answer to the difficulties that you're confronting. Number five, don't ever give in to fear and despair. Do not let problems and challenges paralyze you with fear and doubt and insecurity. Change is not something to be afraid of. It is something to embrace. Do not be afraid to take risks. I'll tell you one thing I've learned in life. You cannot be afraid to take risks. You can't be afraid to take risks. About two and a half years ago, while I was still at Evergreen full-time, I was thinking, Lord, I really believe you want to reach younger people. And, and at Evergreen, we're not getting this 18 to 25-year-old crowd. And that was our primary target of the rock. If, you, if you're older, that's okay. And if you're younger, that's okay too. But the bottom line was, we weren't getting that crowd. And as I began to think about society and I began to think about young people, I began to realize that, that a lot of young singles just totally overlooked by the church. And they're facing some of the most difficult problems and obstacles of any generation before them. And I thought, Lord, I want to solve the problem. I want to do something about it. Then I said, Lord, I'm afraid. You know what I'm afraid of, Lord? I'm afraid that maybe they won't like me. 
I'm afraid, Lord, that maybe if I walk away from Evergreen and I step out and try this, it will fail. And I'm not used to failure, not at least in the last 10 years. And I don't want to fail now, not at my age. I was afraid. And I went back to my Bible and I went back to the promises that I was believing for the last 10 years before that. And finally I came to the conclusion, you know what, Lord? I would rather fail trying to do something to help other people for you than to sit back here and cower in fear under the guise of success at Evergreen. So, Lord, help me now. And I began to ask God, Lord, what can we call it? What can we call it? Where could we start it? Where do I get the money? How do I get the money? How much money am I going to need? We finally decided it's going to need to be $385,000. How do I get that kind of money? I need a band. How do I get a band? And one by one by one by one, God began to open one door after another after another. And then teamed that team me up with Greg, which has been one of the greatest blessings of my life. And Greg began to look for a place. There was no place in all of Uptown. We were looking at old warehouses. We were looking at this. We were looking at that. And finally, when he and I, we went out together and he showed me Blake's school because he had found that. I said, Greg, this has got, this guy, we got to start here. Mark, they've never rented anybody. I said, you know what, Greg? Let's pray together. And let's get other people praying in our, in our core team together. Let's start praying. And it turns out the principal of that school was a lover of God. And they went to the board and they made the presentation. The board was really hesitant. And she stood up in that room and she said, I really think we ought to give these young people a try. The school could use the extra money even though it costs $12,000 a year to go there and they're not really hurting for money. And they told her yes. And we got there and Greg and I were going to take her out to lunch and I got a phone call and the very day we were going to take her out to lunch to thank her and the person said, I'm sorry. Her name was Catherine. Catherine cannot meet with you. She's in the hospital. She has a massive cancer and they don't expect her to live. And she died two weeks later. I went to be with the Lord after he used her to get us into Blake. God still parts the Red Sea. God will still work wonderful things in your life if you believe him. But if you give in to fear, you'll never see what God could do. You'll never experience the power and the miracles and the problem solving that God could do in your life if you run away. Hang in there. Stand tall. And please come back next week because next week we're going to talk about the single most important survival tool. How to discover it, how to develop it in your life because without this one, all the rest will be useless in your life. You'll understand that next week. Please join us afterwards for refreshments. Get your uh, rock tool as you go out tonight and please make a point, would you, next week to bring a friend. Give those things out this week to someone. Maybe they're not interested in church or interested in God or maybe they're feeling hopeless or they don't think there's anybody that cares about them. Please bring them here and they'll find people who care. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you tonight for your word, for your truth. We want to thank you most of all, Lord, that you love us enough that you'll get personally involved in our lives and that there is no problem, no difficulty, no relationship problem that is insurmountable for you. Lord, it's just so empowering in my life to know nothing is impossible for God. And then you go on to say, nothing is impossible to them to believe. And I believe that, Lord. And I believe when I come up against something that is impossible,